Hello beautiful people, you are listening to the voice of David Odejai. I am the host of the Half Court Hustle, the basketball podcast dedicated to bringing you the finest in NBA basketball news and analysis. It's been another amazing week of basketball. I know I say that a lot, but genuinely like the, the sheer quality of the games that we've had this week have been something to behold. Like we've had Two game sevens and back-to-back nights ending in nail-biting final possessions. We had the like Bucks versus Heat game two, which came down to a game-winning uh, free throw. We had that amazing game winner in the, the Raptors and Celtic series with OG Ananobi saving the season for the Raptors. Just amazing stuff night after night after night. So we'll jump in and take a look at just that. We'll have a look at the game sevens. We'll have a look at the two Eastern Conference matchups with Toronto and Boston on one hand and Milwaukee and Miami on the other. But before we jump into all of that, you know where to find me. Get me on Twitter, on Instagram, use the handle at Half Court Hustle. Let me know if you agree with what I'm saying. Let me know if you disagree so I can tell you that you're wrong. Anyway, let's have a conversation, people. Let's talk. Let's talk. So let's start with those Game 7s. We had two back-to-back Game 7s, which were completely contrasting in style, but both exciting to watch down to the end nonetheless. On Tuesday, we had Denver beating Utah, edging them out 80-78. to And on Wednesday night, we had the Rockets narrowly taking that Game 7 against the Thunder, 104-102. to So let's start with Denver. Man, that that Denver Utah game seven that was like a that was like a nineties game seven, like a classic game seven where both teams come out, they're nervous, they're tired, neither team can hit a shot, nobody's doing anything on offense. It's just a defensive slog from start to finish, and that that was really this game. Like it felt like there were long stretches where like nobody could hit a basket, nobody could hit a shot to save their lives. Um, but there you go. Denver managed to jump out to a hot start, but went ice cold in that third quarter, allowing Donovan Mitchell and Utah to rally from a 19-point deficit. Utah really showing their mettle in that game. And I was impressed by the way Mitchell was able to put his team on his back to fight their way back into this one. Nikola Jokic, though, was just too much in the end, and he managed to keep Denver together, especially in key moments in that fourth quarter where there was barely any other sources of offense on the floor. He finished with a pretty impressive 30 points on 14 rebounds. But the mad thing is, even though Utah, they struggled all game uh, offensively, like their best player was uh, Rudy Gobert. Really, like Rudy Gobert was the, the, the player of the game for me from, from the Utah perspective. But they struggled offensively all game. They almost, almost, almost managed to steal this one thanks to a mad final possession. What happened was, Donovan Mitchell, he brings the ball up. There's like 17 seconds left on the clock. He spins, he fumbles the ball, turnover, and then Denver off to the races. Now, Jamal Murray's dribbling up the court and you would expect him to do what most players would do in that situation. Just take the ball, hold it once you get over the halfway line, wait for someone to foul you, take time off the clock and just hit your free throws to make sure you win the game. Instead, Murray sees like a surging, there was Jeremy Grant in front of him and Tory Craig as well. He finds Tory Craig with the pass, which I don't think he was expecting. I think he was just expecting Murray to to, uh, hold on to the ball and, you know, just end the game. 
Tory Craig misses the layup. So Tory Craig misses the layup. And bear in mind that that at this point, Denver are only up by two. Uh, Utah come back with the ball. They get the ball into Mike Conley's hand. And, and Mike Conley had been ice cold, ice cold for most of this game. Credit to him. He put up that shot. The you know time expires. Good if it goes. Buzzer beater. The ball rims out. The ball rims out. So Utah literally, literally centimeters away from taking this game seven. Um, but Denver managing to hold on by the skin of their teeth. And wow, what a finish there, man. And it's it's a real shame for Utah. I do feel sorry for them because honestly, I would not have minded if either of these teams progressed to the second round because it was such an up and down series. It was so competitive, really. Both teams going at each other, like taking turns to be completely hot and cold on, on offense. Um, but there you are, Denver progressing through to face the LA Clippers in that second round where they'll meet Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Um, so Utah, I think some serious questions to be asked about whether they'll run it back next year. It does look as though for now, at least uh, Donovan Mitchell is planning to stay. I've, I'm seeing rumours that uh, Utah are drawing up a max contract extension for him. So it might be that they choose to run it back the same next year. Um, but we'll have to see, man. We'll have to see. And the second game seven of the week, Houston Rockets taking it against the Oklahoma City Thunder. And man, this one was a shootout. And the thing that made this game uh, so exciting and interesting to watch was just just the, the pure storylines, man. Because you had James Harden, who had, let, let's not mince word, he had an awful game. He had a terrible game. He shot 27% from the field. He was, you know, he was airballing freeze. He was like just missing the rim. Just, just a horrible game from him. And he was being outshined by Lugens Dort, who's my, <laughs> who's one of my new favorite players. Like if you've not seen this guy play defense, he's absolutely tenacious. The guy is like a bulldog. And he's he's been all over Harden throughout this entire series. And inexplicably, he comes out and he has a 30-point game where the guy can't miss. He's hitting all of his three-point shots and just outshining James Harden offensively, which, you know, who would have thought you'd see that? And so you have these storylines where James Harden is once again disappearing in an elimination game where the chips are really on the line and you need this guy to listen. Just do your thing, lull the defense to sleep, get to the basket or, or drive and kick. And although he was facilitating well in that fourth quarter, just he wasn't giving the Rockets anything offensively. And so you, you have that narrative being outshined by Lou Dort on one hand. And then on the other hand, you have Westbrook, who, you know, I'll give credit to him because it is deserved. He was a big part of the reason why Houston were able to hang around with the Thunder um, at the start of that fourth quarter because, he, you know, he hit some good shots. He was getting to the bucket. But imagine Russell Westbrook, who... You know how much NBA Twitter has a hard-on for hating this guy. Like, Westbrook attracts so much slander for his style of play just because he's just balls out 100%. It's either zero or it's 100 and nothing in between. And sometimes that leads him to make decisions that are questionable, sure. 
He's not had the best shooting performance really in the last three, four years. He's been, he's been pretty bad from the field. So he attracts a lot of criticism anyway. And so when you take this game where Chris Paul, who's been traded from Houston for Westbrook, is, you know, king of petty, massive chip on his shoulder, missed the fourth quarter, Chris Paul. Imagine what would have happened, like, if the Rockets had lost this game. Like, Twitter would have melted down from the slander. It would have been amazing. But in that final possession, again, another (laughs) crazy possession to end the game, Lou Dort had a good look at a game-winning three. But then out races James Harden, who launches himself at him, gets a clean block, spectacular block on his three-point shot. And then, you know, Lou Dort tries to throw the ball off of James Harden so it'll go off out of bounds off of him. But Harden, you know, ever aware, manages to, to dodge that like they're playing dodgeball. And man, like, in that single play, he erased that entire game of suckiness. Like, if, if there's ever a game that shows you that basketball really and truly is about the big moments, it was that Harden play. It was it, terrible offensive performance from him. Fantastic play to seal the game. And if you look, if you're the Oklahoma City Thunder, like hats off to them because nobody, nobody like gave them a chance. Uh, barely anybody gave them a chance to even make the playoffs, let alone. Uh, take it to to the Rockets in the way that they've done in this series, coming you know within a hair of eliminating Harden's Rockets. So hats off to them. Hats off to CP3, who I am you know fingers crossed. Let come back for another year. Come back for another two years. Like CP3 is still incredible. He's still amazing in the clutch. You, you want to talk about veteran experience, veteran leadership, a guy who does all of that, ticks all of those boxes, everything you want from a point guard. My man is still doing it at his big age. So, you know, hats off to Chris Paul, hats off to hats off to the Thunder. Um, but yeah, Houston Rockets advance where they will face the other LA team, the LA Lake. Alright, so with the excitement of those game seven series out of the way. We had two very differing Eastern Conference matchups in terms of, you know, where the teams have ended up. The Toronto Raptors have managed to tie things up with Boston two games apiece after finally managing to put together a couple of decent shooting performances and getting star performance out of Kyle Lowry as well. On the other side of the fence, Milwaukee Bucks staring at a 3-0 deficit against the Miami Heat. You don't need reminding from me, obviously, but no team in NBA history has ever, ever come back from a 3-0 deficit. So, you know, never say never. Nothing is impossible and all that stuff. But this this series is done. This series is done. So anyway, let's, let's start off with that Boston series against the Toronto Raptors. Boston really hit the ground running, taking two games in a row off of the Raptors, who looked out of sorts, completely out of sorts in those first two games. They got big-time performances out of Jason Tatum. Uh, Kemba Walker was clicking. Jalen Brown was clicking. They were hitting their three-point shots. Um, So they were doing well offensively. They were getting back in transition, stopping the Raptors from really focusing on their modus operandi, which is uh, uh, getting out in transition. 
So holding the Raptors there has been big for Boston. But the real X factor in this series has been Marcus Smart, who has been on fire from the three-point line in those two games especially. And just boosting the, the Celtics' play on the defensive end of the floor where, you know, you know he's going to be tenacious. You know he's going to be high IQ, good positioning, good feet, good strength, all of that stuff. He's always going to give it to the other side um, on the defensive end of the floor. On offense as well, just hitting all of his three-point shots, really delivering for the Boston offense when when they call on his number. And um, yeah, he's he's been, he, he was really great in those first two games. Toronto, on the other hand, the complete opposite. No rhythm from the three-point line at all. Fred Van Vliet in particular just couldn't find this shot. He was woeful um, from, from the three-point line. Serge Ibaka, on the other hand, shot surprisingly well. And that's because Boston was sort of sagging off him and, and daring him to shoot. You can live with an Ibaka three generally. Um, but yeah, the, the team just did not have it going from, from the three-point line. A majority of the criticism has to be at the feet of Pascal Siakam, who was having an even worse series than he did against Brooklyn. Like, he's just had a subpar shooting series overall. But in the last two games, the Raptors have really managed to flip the script. Fred Van Vliet has found a decent rhythm and he's starting to hit his three-point shots with regularity, as we expect from him. Kyle Lowry, and you know, I spoke about Chris Paul earlier being everything you want from a point guard. Uh, toughness, veteran leadership, all of the intangibles. Kyle Lowry has got those and has sh- he's shown that he's got those in a big way. And when you look at the, the career trajectory of this guy, it's amazing to see because you got to remember, like, it wasn't that long ago in the days of DeRozan, the, the dark days of DeRozan and Lowry in, in the playoffs when, you know, he would disappear in big games. You know, let, let's let's not get into those LeBron James, Cleveland, Toronto playoff matchups. I, I don't want to give any Toronto fans PTSD here, but Lowry has stepped up in such a big way in the playoffs and he's he's really managed to contribute in so many different ways to this Raptors team. Uh, in particular, the Raptors came back with an impressive win over Boston in game three with Kyle Lowry, of course, hitting OG Ananobi with like the most accurate, pinpoint accurate, uh, inbounds possession pass you ever see like he just lobbed lobbed the ball like way over the court seemed to go over the shot clock almost hit OG Ananobi on the numbers like just pinpoint OG rises hits the three to avoid going down to Boston uh, three to nothing that was such a massive shot probably the biggest shot of the series one of the biggest shots of the, the playoffs so far it was, it, it, it was amazing by the way, OG Ananobi, fantastic defensively all season. Every time I, I see him, um, his on-ball defense is, is really good. And he has been finding ways to contribute to the offense. And he's been great from the three-point line as well. So, you know, OG having a fantastic series and really getting it down for the Raptors when he's being called upon. So, yeah, we go from Boston being on the verge of taking a commanding three-to-nothing lead so being tied 2-2 two and two in this series, the momentum has definitely swung Toronto's way and it will be really interesting to see how Brad Stevens gets his team to sort of adjust themselves mentally in Game 5 because it's all well and good being tied in a series, that's nothing new, but like coming out 2-0, and being on the verge of going up 3-0 and 
And then losing two games in a row after that has got to be that's got to be difficult from a mental perspective. Like you got you've got to start to feel ah maybe things are slipping away from us a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see how Brad Stevens writes the ship for his team mentally and emotionally. And then on the other side of the spectrum, compared to Toronto, you've got the Milwaukee Bucks. Yikes. So Milwaukee staring down the barrel of a 3-0 deficit against this Miami Heat team. And, and first, I need to give credit where credit is due. The Heat have been really impressive in all three of the games that they've played. And the most obvious factor, the thing that smacks you in the face, is the play of Jimmy Butler, who has been remarkably consistent in fourth quarters, just coming up in the clutch time and time again, in particular, that, that really impressive game one where he ripped off 13 of the Heat's final 16 points in that game. Um, so he's been big. He's had some serious help from Gora and Dragic as well. He's having a great series. Like he's averaging 21 points and what is it, 45% from the three-point line. So Dragic being like a really reliable uh, second option for the Heat there. But really and truly, it's the Heat defense you have to give the credit to. They are a matchup nightmare for Giannis. They throw multiple defenders at him. They've got the personnel to come check him at the perimeter. They've got the personnel to make life difficult for him when he gets to the rim. And shout out to Jay Crowder and Bam Adebayo. Both of them have done like an amazing job. Jay Crowder in particular in that game three that I saw, fantastic from the three-point line, really doing his, his bit on both ends of the floor. But bruv, this Bucks team... I don't know what to say, man. I don't know what to say. Like Giannis, he's struggled. He's really struggled against this Miami defense. And it's it's so similar to what we saw from his performance against the Raptors last year because he really, when, when it comes to these sort of playoff um, situations where the defense is really keyed into him uh, building the wall, quote unquote, so to speak, where he'll get the ball top of the key and he's seeing two sometimes three defenders both determined to clog up his way he's just not able to get to the rim with the same regularity or dominance there has been some speculation that perhaps he's playing injured you know I can believe that because he's just not looked his regular dominant self some people are laying the blame at the feet of Mike Baldenholzer for not playing him for 40 plus minutes and I see that because he's averaged something like 36 minutes a game and it's like what are you saving this guy for? Like this, this season is on the line now. Like you're facing a three and no deficit now. Like what, what are you saving him for a game four where you're already down three? Like what, what is the deal? Um, and I definitely see the, the validity in that criticism, but there have been times where like the Bucks have just looked better with him when he's been off the floor. Like I, I, I don't, I don't think it's, it's the fact that you know, Giannis hasn't been getting an extra eight minutes a game. That like, That's not the deciding factor here. Um, a lot of that blame needs to be laid at the feet of Giannis because, you know, he's settled for jumpers. He's settled for three-point shots. Like, I, I don't... Like, every time Giannis shot the ball in that game three, like, without even thinking about maybe pump faking, hitting to the rim, like, a little part of me died, man, because I was just like, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? And he... he he hadn't been hitting them with any kind of regularity at all. So he he just wasn't helping his team when he was doing that. And not only that, but he's also been absolute trash from the free throw line. Like he's been shooting 54%. And like, come on, those are 
those are Andre Drummond numbers. Like you're, you're getting to the point where it would make sense for Miami to just foul him every time he touches the ball because he isn't able to buy a free throw shot. So Giannis has to carry a lot of the burden for this for this performance. When I see this Bucks team, when I see this Bucks team in this particular series, Chris Middleton, he's not always consistent as a second option. Yeah, that's fine. But in this series, he's done his job. Brooke Lopez, okay. His shot comes, his shot goes. In this series, he's done his job. Both of them have done their job here. Fine. Their shot went missing in the fourth quarter of, of game three. You know, the entire Bucks team went cold in, in that fourth quarter. 13 points compared to Miami Heat's 40. Like, <laughs> what? Um, but they look, they've done their job. And quite frankly, the roster is being exposed because there is nobody outside of Chris Middleton who is a capable and reliable perimeter shot creator. Hill does it for stretches. And actually, he, he's not been bad in the series either. So, I, you know, I'm not going to pin him down too much. Bledsoe has been mediocre and he's been a he's been an issue for the Bucks really for for the, for the past um, couple of uh, years in these playoffs because offensively, like some there are, there are times where this guy is just not on the floor at all. He's good defensively, so I'm not going to say that he brings nothing to this Bucks team. But quite frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if there are a ton of people in Milwaukee thinking, "Man, I wish we had kept Malcolm Brogdon over this guy." So look, serious disappointment for Giannis and the Bucks. Giannis in particular now has to face you know, collecting his MVP trophy, having possibly, depending on what happens in, in tonight's game, Sunday night's game, he faces the prospect of having to collect his MVP trophy, having already been eliminated from the series that he's playing. Like, come on, that's embarrassing. There might have to be like a remote presentation because the team, apparently, from, from, from what I've heard um, in whispers, the teams that get eliminated, they leave the next day. This has been this has been a, a a real sort of um a real setback for, for Giannis and the Bucks, and I'm sure a lot of people have Coach Budenholzer in their sights. Is he the right guy to take this particular team to the promised land? Maybe, maybe not. But like he's put he's put his team in position to be like the best regular season team the last couple of seasons. You know he was really good with with Atlanta, who I guess faced the same problem in in not being able to get out of the East. But you know. That's when LeBron James was in the East. So, you know, who else was able to get out of the East? Um, but who else out there really would make a marked improvement to this to this team? Like, who else is out there and available that will be able to get the Bucks over the hump? Um, so, look, let, let's see what happens with this Bucks team. It might be that they need to make a couple of trades to, to ensure that they've got some other perimeter scoring around... Giannis aside from Chris Middleton the long and short of it is that this team is going to need to put some serious effort to keeping Giannis happy and making sure he doesn't leave ahead of his his big free agency year yes so that'll do it for now that'll do it for now out west we've got a Lakers team who's you know they've been hit by the the Rockets train some serious offensive showing um from from James Harden in that one you've got Denver who's managed to tie up the series with the Clippers, which I'm really surprised by because they got absolutely destroyed in that game one, but they've managed to tie it up in the, in their game too. So but look, by the time you listen to this, we'll have found out whether the Bucks have been swept by Miami in their game four. We'll also find out whether the Lakers can tie things up with Houston. So look, 
We've got some fantastic basketball coming up. And I'm telling you, man, like this bubble has delivered. And the quality of the games doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. And I'm telling you, long may it continue. With that said, have a lovely week, people. See you later.